0: From Toronto, Canada, The
1: Conspiracy
0: Show with Richard Serrett.
1: And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. And before we get started, just a few house cleaning duties. Uh, last week on the program, I think it was last week, was it last week, Albert, we had Dan Perkins on talking about uh, uh, the, uh, the the grim potential for... Uh, sort of the dual threat of Ebola and terrorism coming together. Uh, and Dan Perkins, as I say, pa- painted this grim scenario where a, ter- a terrorist uh, could come to these shores, uh, a suicidal terrorist infected with the Ebola virus, and then imagine this. So he's got the Ebola virus, or she has the Ebola virus, she goes into a, or he goes into a crowded place and blows him or herself up. Of course, then the uh, the virus would be everywhere. Or they could do it a little more uh, surreptitiously, just go around sort of putting the Ebola virus, you know, on doorknobs and handrails and so forth. But then Dan Perkins went one step further and suggested, what if, what if they were to take a body that that was uh, uh, contaminated with the Ebola virus and dump it into a reservoir supplying a municipal water system? And uh, I hadn't even thought of that. And that frightened me, quite frankly. But then I got this email, and I promised uh, a Bill uh, that sent this to me that I'd, that I'd read this on the air. Uh, bill writes, and uh, Bill is in uh, New Jersey, I believe, I suspect you have now realized that dumping an Ebola-infected body into a city water pl- supply system would provide no widespread threat to that city's population. Firstly, the solution to pollution is dilution. And the Ebola virus would only be present in the bodily fluids, which would be a tiny, tiny amount compared to the amount of water flowing through the system, which is both regularly monitored and constantly disinfected. Many towns and cities on this continent get their drinking water from rivers or Great Lakes. The very same rivers that, and towns and cities upstream dump the liquid output from their sewage treatment plants. It is the same water used to flush hundreds of thousands of toilets and combined with waste contaminated with all sorts of germs, viruses, and poisonous chemicals. That's true. And after large storms, a lot of that nasty waste goes directly into the rivers without any treatment. Hopefully it gets diluted before it enters another city's water intake pipes downstream. This happens all the time, all across the developed world, but most people don't know whether their drinking water comes from or where it comes from or where it's been before. We have the same water on the planet now that the dinosaurs did. It's always getting recycled. Now, Bill says, I'm no sanitary expert, just a former National Radio Network news anchor and would suggest you check what I said with a true expert in municipal waste and water systems. All right. So, Bill, thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to look into that, but that does, that makes perfect sense. So so one of the three scenarios uh, that Dan Perkins, the, uh, the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, uh, put forth that uh, terrorists could come to these shores infected with Ebola, or uh, anyway, one of those scenarios, putting a body infected with Ebola into a water system, that... Uh, perhaps is not. There's no need for concern in terms of that scenario. All right. I just I, I wanted to, uh, to, to to mention that and follow up on last week's program because I think it's important uh, to do that from time to time. All right. Oh, here's something else. I just got off the phone with a local inventor, um, Niagara Falls, uh, Bruce McBurney, and he's agreed to come on the show next week. We actually met at my Follow the Truth conference uh, back in November. And he gave me a copy of this booklet that I've got with me right now. It's called The Secret Super High Mileage Report. The Secret Super High Mileage Report, 100 miles to the gallon, or that's 3 liters per 100 kilometers, super fuel injection system. And uh, essentially, it's a, a super carburetor. It's a, a, super, a super carburetor. Uh, it's a, it's a, a blueprint or if, a do-it-yourself guide to build one of these super carburetors that'll get you about 100 miles to the gallon. And it turns out there have been, you know, dozens of inventors over the years, going back to the, like the 1930s, who've come up with similar devices. It, it, it vaporizes the gasoline and it, it wacks the, the carbon molecule, creating methane and carbon monoxide, which burn far more efficiently and produce, get this, virtually no pollution. Now. Bruce says you put one of these super carburetor systems in a smart car. Those little smart cars, you can get up to get this 350 miles per gallon. And and one of the lead inventors of this uh, super fuel injection system was a guy by the name of Tom Ogle, who uh, lived in the southwestern United States back in the 70s. And the legend says, Bill o- Big Oil offered him $25 million. I'm guessing they wanted to just put this thing on the shelf. He refused. So what do you suppose happened to Tom Ogle? Well, you're going to have to tune in next week and find out uh, when Br- inventor Bruce McBurney joins me to talk about his super fuel injection system and uh, why you'll likely never see it brought to market. And, and you can probably figure out why. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will also be back next week for another Paranormal News Roundup. And we're working on some other stuff. Always working here to deliver the goods. Uh, You know, this is always a bittersweet uh, time of the year for me. Uh, First of all, I love Christmas. Always have. Uh, Favorite time of the year. But this time, at this time 34 years ago, just a few weeks shy of Christmas, John Lennon uh, was ripped from this world. I I was looking forward to to Christmas that year because I'd asked for uh, Double Fantasy, his album. This was his big comeback album. And... uh, just the idea that Lenin was coming back from, you know, f- five years of being sort of a recluse at the Dakota. Uh, and all the promise, all the promise, that perhaps the Beatles will get back together. So, and that was stolen from us. Uh, and for me personally, I don't know how you feel, but this was sort of my JFK moment. I, I wasn't around when JFK was assassinated. But this uh, still, even 34 years later, it still resonates with me. It's still, uh, there's still some sadness there. And, um... Some say you know Lenin uh, died. It was just a a question of a, ma- or a uh, ingredients of a madman with a gun uh, Mark David Chapman, of course, perhaps there were some darker forces at work there. Some have speculated that Chapman was a Manchurian candidate we 've talked about that on this show, a programmed assassin was he programmed perhaps just to be a patsy to be standing there and take the fall uh, in fact, maybe uh, the the real gunman some have suggested was um, Sort of strangely, this new doorman shows up at the uh, the Dakota, uh, a guy by the name of Jose Perdarmo, who, as it turns out, was an ex-Cuban secret policeman and a CIA asset. I believe he was b- involved in the Bay of Pigs, uh, and of course we know about the we know about the uh, the uh, the FBI files on Lenin. They were trailing him, uh, so people have started to connect the dots and speculated that perhaps Lenin wasn't uh, merely the victim of a mad gunman. He was. Assassinated, executed uh, by some intelligence agency. Regardless, you know there are enough strange circumstances, serendipitous happenstance, coincidences, even foreshadowing uh, surrounding the life, career, and and tragic death of uh, the former Beatle John Winston Ono Lennon. Uh, there's enough there to fill several volumes, and that's where we're headed uh, for the next 40 minutes or so. And who better to talk about the myth, the legend? The High Strangeness Surrounding, John Lennon then, my good pal, R. Gary Patterson, a native Tennessean with a passion for rock and roll as a published author. Uh, Gary's work portrays many fascinating events that help shape musical history from Robert Johnson through current groups, making a place for themselves among rock and roll's standing legends. Gary is the author of The Walrus Was Paul and later Hellhounds on Their Trail, the revised version is titled Take a Walk on the Dark Side. Uh, rock and roll myths, legends, and curses, and today he's developing other ideas for several new television series dealing with fascinating events in the ongoing history of rock and roll. Gary also gives gives lectures on college campuses concerning myths and little-known legends of popular music. Our Gary Patterson, how are you, my friend? Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show.
0: Oh, it's great to be with you, Richard. How are you?
1: Very well, very well. But, you know, uh, I I was saying that uh, Lenin for me, was sort of my JFK, how do you feel? I mean, you're we're roughly the same age, I think.
0: I tell you, uh, it was more of an impact on me than JFK could ever have been. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think it was with us, Richard, was that we grew up with him. Uh, felt like we knew him through his music. And all those Beatles songs that we listened to and that we loved, and like you said, you know, uh, the finality of Lennon's death, was the finality of the whole Beatles themselves. And, you know, we had this selfish wish that we wish they'd get back together again and write some more great songs so that we could uh, relive that. But, you know, they had evolved as well. But to me, after Lennon died, it took me a week to even listen to a Beatles song. Right. I mean, it was so, so painful to hear his voice. And, you know, thinking about, you know, double fantasy coming out. You know, here he was, ready to write some great music and and perform, and then we go to the lone nut with a gun theory, and uh, it was taken from us forever.
1: I've told this story before, uh, but just very quickly, I, I was at a, I had only, I was a latecomer. Uh, I had only recently discovered uh, the Beatles. I mean, I knew about the Beatles, but I hadn't. I wasn't really. Sort of uh, a huge, huge fan, and I remember going to um, on a high school trip to Toronto to Sam the Record Man, which is a legendary uh, record store here in Toronto that closed a while ago. But uh, and buying that um, that EMI release uh, of their sort of a compilation album, the Blue, uh, double album, uh, the Beatles, nineteen sixty-seven to seventy, which included all their hits, and uh, that's when I, you know, just began to love the Beatles, and uh, that night. When uh, Lennon was shot and the world, m- much of the world or America heard about it from Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football, I was over at my friend's house, I lived around the corner, and we had the game on. It was um, Miami versus New England. And it was a Monday night game. The sound, we had we had the sound turned down. So I didn't hear Cosell say that Lennon had been shot in the back and rushed to Roosevelt Hospital dead on arrival because we were listening to that double album, 19- Beatles 1967 to 70. And so we missed the announcement. And I walked home in the snow, you know, dreaming about the potential for a Beatle reunion. Uh, Lennon was coming back, and I had double fantasy, was on my Christmas wish list. And then I got home, and my sister told me, and I felt like I got kicked in the gut.
0: Well, I was pumping gas into my car, and I heard the announcement had been shot. And I thought, oh, my God, this can't be true. And it took probably... Oh, I guess 30 more minutes before the news broke on the radio that he had died and I mean I couldn't sleep that night it just felt like I'd lost a, a dear member of my family and I don't know what other rock star could have had that happen you know it's just the idea of, of the music when I was little well when I was in that junior high I think when the Beatles came out sure but you know listening to the music growing up with it studying it loving it and have have one of the great writers taken away from us. You know, it was, it was just like you. It was a kick in the gut. I never will forget it. And uh, like I said, it took me a while to get over it. And I think a our, our whole generation who grew up with the Beatles and a generation who discovered them later uh, felt this great loss by the amount of crowds that came out to the Dakota. And I think it was the first time that all the radio stations went blank. Is
1: that and right? went off
0: the air. All right, it, listen, it, it we've, got, uh,
1: we've got... Uh Whatever gets you through the night uh, percolating up, which means it's time to go to a break. We'll let John Lennon take <laughs> us in, which I believe was his, his only number one hit as a uh, as a solo artist. It was, yes. From 1974, Walls and Bridges. We'll be back. Our Gary Patterson. We'll talk about the uh, the synchronicity, strange coincidences surrounding the life, career, and death of John Lennon right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.
0: Whatever gets you through your life.
1: Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Serra. Number nine dream, uh, John Lennon, as uh, we mark the 35th, 34th anniversary of his death. R. Gary Patterson, a rock and roll investigator and the author of uh, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. And uh, Gary, as we come back with number nine dream, I, I wanted to start the discussion uh, talking about some of the, I don't know, the coincidences and the, the, some of the strangeness surrounding Lenin's life and uh, career and his death, with that number nine, mm. which seemed to follow Lennon around. Uh, I mean, he was born on uh, on the ninth of October. We have we have the number nine recurring in in, in uh, many of his of his songs, Revolution Nine, One After Nine O Nine, Number Nine Dream. Um, What other – where else can we find the number nine with John Lennon?
0: Well, as you said, he was born on October the 9th. He was born in a city, Liverpool, with nine letters. Uh, You can go through even the numbers on the license plate of the policeman who was off duty that hit Lennon's mother and killed her. The numbers added up to nine. Uh, He was aware of that. He was also – if you look at November 9th, 1961, that was when Brian Epstein discovered the Beatles. At the Cavern Club. And nine years later, they'll break up. That's right. 1970. Right. Also, he meets Yoko Ono on November 9th, 1966. So the Nine played a role there. Of course, they became you know major Beatlemania in the United States when they played the Ed Sullivan Show on February 9th, 1964. There you go. When Lennon and Yoko arrived in the United States, they eventually stayed at the Dakota, but they came into the United States in 1971. You had nine years to that, that's 1980. The year he died, his apartment at the Dakota was number 27, of course that makes nine. The Dakota is located on West 72nd Street, another nine.
1: Right. And he was
0: shot there, and that was on 72nd Street. He was rushed to Roosevelt Hospital that had nine letters. Uh, Roosevelt Hospital is located on 9th Avenue, and he was pronounced officially dead at 1107. So you add 7 plus 1 plus 1 is 9, and he was born at 6.30 p.m. So 6 plus 3 is 9. So he was born on a 9, died on a 9. A lot of people say, well, you know, he died on December 8th. Wouldn't it have been weird if he had died on December 9th? But you got to remember, he was a British citizen. And at the moment of his death, when it, when it was announced in England, it was already five hours ahead So it was already December 9th at that time. There you go. Another thing is that his son, Sean, was born on his birthday on October 9th. Hmm. So, you know, you can look at it. I think they were together nine years, you know, Yoko and and John. So there's so many things you could do a book on the number nine. I know that I have a lot of that listed in uh, Take a Walk on the Dark Side because to be aware of a number that would affect your life forever, and, I mean, he knew that, of course, obviously, because he had, even in when he was in the very early days of the Beatles, you had the one after 909, and uh, so obviously he was aware of it then. Of course, he was in a group called the Quarrymen, that was nine letters also. McCartney, right. when he meets Lennon, McCartney had nine letters in his name, the only Beatle with nine letters, and that became his prolific songwriting partner throughout, you know, Beatlemania, so... You know, you can look at that, and you can say, oh, that's a coincidence. Isn't that a coincidence? But, you know, sometimes the definition of a coincidence, Richard, which we know is uh, an explanation waiting to happen.
1: There you go. Uh, I've got a, an, another one here for you, because we just we, we, we heard uh, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, which was from Lennon's 1974 album, Walls mm-hmm. and Bridges. Right. The album was his ninth non-Beatles right. album. It was issued in the ninth month of the year. And number nine dream... Uh, let's see, on the Billboard Hot 100, where do you think it peaked? I think it peaked at nine. At number nine. My word, that's, I mean, and, and obviously Lennon was, oh, uh, you mentioned Roosevelt Hospital, ninth, did you mention it's on Ninth Avenue? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, now, I mean, was Lennon, I, I believe Yoko was heavily into numerology, was Was Lennon into numerology? Oh, he
0: was into numerology, astrology. I know that Yoko used to uh, control him at times for not going anywhere by telling him, John, Mercury's in retrograde. Mercury's in retrograde. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, I think that she really sort of, he had an interest, but I think she really piqued that interest. And, uh, you know, they would have a number of psychics over at their homes. They would do readings. Uh, When they moved into the Dakota, the actor who owned it had passed away. So they did a seance to contact his spirit to see if it would be alright for them to have the apartment, you know, that the spirit wouldn't bother him. I think it was Jack Ryan, something like that. I have to look it up. But when they did the seance and they spoke to the spirit, they notified his daughter that they had talked to her father in the afterlife and he'd give them permission to have their, his old place at the Dakota. And uh, I'm sure that his daughter enjoyed that. But anyway, I mean, they were into it. And, you know, when you take a look at the Dakota, in a Playboy interview, there's a scene where Lennon's doing his interview, and he hears gunshots. That's right. And he turns to the the writer, and he says, oh, another murder at the Rue, Dakota. Well, in its entire 99-year history. (laughs) Oh, 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 dear. In its 99-year history, there was only one murder at the Dakota, and that was John Lennon. And uh, there's a gate on the other side, it was called the Undertaker Gates. that if uh, someone who died at the Dakota, then their body would be taken out that way, like Boris Karloff. I remember he passed away as one of the tenants of the uh, Rue Dakota. But it's kind of interesting, you know, when you take a look even at the Dakota had its 99-year history with John Lennon being the first one murdered. Right. Did
1: that line actually make it into the Playboy interview?
0: do what now the line did
1: yes so foreshadowing
0: yeah a little foreshadowing you awesome. know that he would say that and uh, i mean did he have a premonition richard what do you think were there premonitions with uh, john lennon that he knew that he was going to have a short
1: life well he he actually predicted it didn't he someone someone somewhere asked him uh, how do you think you're going to die john and he said some loony's going to pop me off or something like that do you remember that yeah. interview I can't remember where or when, but he said that you know, some Fred, loony is going to pop me off. Yeah,
0: Fred Seaman. Yes, in uh, his book, mentioned that Lennon was convinced that he would be shot to death, that it was a modern form of crucifixion. Wow! And that for his line, the Beatles were more popular Jesus Christ. That he would see that that would be some sort of that would be the way he would go. Some loony with a gun was shooting. And what was odd is that he was shot five times. And uh, did you know that Mark David Chapman stops in Atlanta before he comes to New York to kill Lennon? He tells this policeman, who's a friend of his, that he doesn't have any bullets for his gun. He's going to New York. He needs it for protection. So the police officer gave him five bullets.
1: They were hollow point, too, weren't
0: they? Yes. Well, they, you know, he meant business when he did this, but Lennon was shot five times, and if you know anything about medieval literature, and you take a look at Christ symbols, you, talk, you take a look at the number five. And the number five, for instance, the knight had a five-pointed star on his shield, like Gawain and the Green Knight. Right. The five-pointed star stood for the five wombs of Christ. Oh, my. So you you always take a look at the five bullets, and I think about the five wounds of Christ, you know, the crown of thorns, each hand that sleep together in the wound at the side. And you take a look at those five, and you're saying, you know, this is odd, you know, that, that you had the medieval concept of the cross figure with the five wounds, and then John Lennon being shot five times and saying that that would be the way he would go. And, uh, you know, that was documented much earlier than that. So, yeah, you have a premonition. And, and the song, number nine dream, you know, isn't that kind of odd, too?
1: Yes, there's something very ethereal and haunting about that about that song. Every time I hear it, it gets me.
0: Yeah, me too. I have the same it have the same effect on me. And the line where he says, "Someone calls out my name," ah, yes, and you hear John. John. And Mae Pang told me that it that was her voice. That she was the one who went in to the studio with John, and she she's the one who calls his name softly. But after John died, Yoko had. May's voice removed and placed her voice saying, John.
1: Is that right? Yeah. And, of course, right. someone calls my name, and we know Mark David Chapman called out to him, Mr. He Lennon. He did, Mr. Lennon. So
0: he turned his head. Someone did call out his name. I mean, the whole concept of premonition. Uh, in rock and roll, for instance, Eddie Cochran had a premonition because he was convinced he was supposed to be at the winter dance party. He turned down the opportunity to play with Buddy Holly on the tour because he did a television show. But he was convinced that he had cheated death and that death was stalking him. And when he went to England, uh, Sharon Sheely's his girlfriend, went with him. She went out and bought all these Buddy Holly singles, and he had sat in his room with the lights out playing them. And he would say, uh, she would say, well, you've got to get rid of this, Eddie. You've got to stop this. But he's gone. He said, I know. He says, but I'm, I'll be seeing him soon. Oh, wow. And he went to a fortune teller to have his fortune told. And he woke up one night in a hotel screaming. I'm going to die. And there's not anything anybody can do about it. And Patsy Cline, you know, before her <laughs> death at the age of thirty, had had premonitions of her death, and she told it to Loretta Lynn. And of course, Loretta Lynn had many psychic paranormal experiences.
1: You know, so she, oh, is that right? I didn't know that. The one to talk to. Excuse me. I didn't know that about Loretta Lynn. That yeah. Had oh, and-
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's why she and Patsy. I think Loretta Lynn had a premonition of Patsy's death. And when you talk about country music, I guess you could talk about Johnny Horton, you know, he was big into Edgar Casey, but he was convinced that he would be killed by a drunk, he said, I'm going to be killed by a drunk, I'm going to stay out of bars, and he was married to Hank Williams' widow, wow. and uh, the odd thing is, he went to Texas, he played the, the last club that uh, Hank Williams played before he died, and on the way home in his Cadillac, he was hit head-on by a drunk driver and killed, so he was killed by a drunk. And, you know, these were premonitions about their artists that happened, you know, earlier in their careers, that they were convinced things would happen to them. And uh, when you think about Mick Jagger and Marianne Faithful, they'd gone to a party at Brian Jones's home, and they did the I Ching, and they, th- they threw the hexagrams, and it came out with a message that said, Brian Jones drowns. Is that right? And they went to his party, and Mick Jagger and <laughs> Brian got into an argument, and Jagger pushed him in a pool. And when they left, they go back to their apartment or go back to their home, and they do the I Ching again, and they ask again, and the message was Brian Jones drowns. So it gave twice, and they thought, well, maybe what it meant, I threw him in the pool, and he got out, and he's angry, but he was in water. But it said again that Brian Jones drowns. So,
1: you know, and how you soon after that?
0: Premonition.
1: So, Isn't that odd? How soon after that, Gary, did Jones actually drown?
0: Well, let's see. Uh, When he was terminated from the Rolling Stones, it was within two years, or a year, actually, and uh, that's when they did the Hyde Park concert, and Mick Jagger stands up and he reads Adonis by Shelley, and they let these butterflies go, but they had the butterflies in these little boxes, and it was so hot, most of the butterflies were dead, they didn't flutter too far. But, uh, you know, it was within a year, so that was odd. I mean... Did Jimi Hendrix have a premonition of his death? I know that when he died, there's so many. We talk about this, Richard. Sure. You and I have such a good time, and <laughs> you know, you know a lot about this. But the last I never Hendrix
1: get tired wrote, of hearing it. I never get tired of hearing it.
0: Well, we have fun, man. I mean, I, when I was in Toronto not
1: too long ago, a few weeks ago, yes, we had a
0: we had a wonderful time. So I want to tell your listeners what a great guy you are to hang out with. Oh, like, likewise. On radio.
1: likewise. Thank you, my friend. But
0: Hendrix had written a, a mm-hmm. poem that he was going to make into a musical piece. It was called The Story of Life. And the last line of it was The story of life is quicker than the wink of an eye. The story of love is hello and goodbye until we meet again. And that idea, until we meet again, gave Eric Burden the concept that Hendrix had planned this, that Hendrix had committed suicide. And of course, if Hendrix had committed suicide, there'd be no huge million dollar insurance policy for Mike Jeffrey. So Jeffrey
1: had convinced
0: everyone that it was an accidental death.
1: Jeffrey was Otherwise his manager, right?
0: Misadventure.
1: Jeffrey was his manager.
0: Jeffrey was his manager. Uh, Hendrix was leaving Jeffrey, and Jeffrey had just borrowed about a quarter of a million dollars from the mob to build Electric Ladyland Studios. And if he'd lost Hendrix, he would have some uh, customers wanting their money. Sure. Who dress nicely, but uh, could put you in cement blocks and put you in the river and uh the idea and there are many people who believe this was that Jeffrey Had Hendrix murdered and when you take a look at people who are murdered by record companies or the conspiracy concept I mean my gosh if Hendrix was murdered for a million dollar policy think of Delphi records Delphi records had three major stars Richie Valens Sam Cooke and Bobby Four mm. what happened to
1: all three of them all gone too soon
0: all gone way too soon. Richie Valens only seventeen, but their insurance policies were paid off. And Bob Keene, the owner of Delphi Records, was actually investigated by the FBI. Is that right? Hmm. You know, and he said, "Hey, I don't kill off my artist." But you know, Jimi Hendrix once said, "It's funny how people love the dead. Once you're dead, you're made for life." That's true. Who's made for life. The people who on
1: <laughs> the listen, music. Um, listen, when we come back, here's uh, John Lennon starting over. Uh, when we come back, we'll bring it back to, uh, to John Lennon because talking about foreshadowing, there's a famous picture uh, that some say that was taken, I believe, in around 1967. And um, we're actually doing a Google Hangout tonight, so if you uh, if you want to get onto the uh, watch the live stream, go to my Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. It's the first feed, uh, the first Twitter uh, feed at the the uh, the top. Just click on that link, and you can see some of the pictures that we're going to show you here. But we're going to show you that picture. Albert, put this one up on the slide, show. It's the uh, the picture that some say predicted John's Lennon, John Lennon's death. And we'll discuss that with rock and roll investigator R. Gary Patterson when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To the Conspiracy Show. All right, welcome back. Watching the Wheels. Uh, John Lennon from his uh, final uh, uh, album, at least released while he was still alive, and that's um, a double fantasy. Uh, R. Gary Patterson is with us, rock and roll investigator and author of uh, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. And of course, this is the guy that unraveled the whole Paul is Dead mystery. Uh, his website, rgarypatterson.com. And uh, here's another uh, interesting little uh, coincidence. Uh, I now correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Gary, but the in the UK on the same the anniversary. Uh, well, it was December the eighth or December the 9th, uh, They the in the UK they released the EP version of Magical Mystery Tour. Is that That's is, correct? So that happened on the anniversary of uh, where Lennon died on the same day that that was released back in 1960, was it 66? 67. 67, Magical Mystery Tour. And there's some interesting foreshadowing in that, on that album as well, or on the EP. Isn't there a, a scene that's being played out from one of Shakespeare's plays? where King some, Lear. King Lear. And someone is, someone is dying and people are rushing to help him?
0: It's a line where it says, bury my body. And then you hear a voice go, oh, untimely death. Then the last voice goes, What? Is he dead? And uh, you know, everyone who was studying this about the Paul is dead rumor, you know, they were pretty well convinced, Oh my gosh, you know, they're giving Shakespearean clues. Of course, John said he just turned the radio on. And when he when he turned the radio on it was just playing that, so he said, Oh this is cool, we'll just go ahead and put it in there. And uh they left it. So whether it was inadvertent, whatever, it was just really odd that, uh, you know, it basically sort of fore- foretold that.
1: Right, right. And the picture you're talking about... Yes, let's talk about the 1967 photo of Lennon, and he's there, he's, I'm, I'm guessing that's a fake mustache and beard. He's, oh, yeah,
0: well, it better be, because that's <laughs> a very thick mustache. Yeah. And he's standing there, and there's a sign, and I know what you're talking about. You've probably got the slideshow up. and I do, yeah. And if the viewers will take a look at it, in the Paul is dead rumor, <clears throat> the uh, sign supposedly or very clearly shows the time a bus is leaving, but it doesn't show the time it comes back. So the idea was that was the time that Paul had left and he never came back. And, but if you look closer to the bottom, it says the best way to go is by M and D coach or CO. Right. It looks like company. So. There were a number of rumors about that, that M&D Company was a funeral home that handled all the arrangements of the strange death of Paul McCartney. And then there was a rumor that it was M&D Coach, and that was the bus line. And, of course, a lot of people may not know what a magical mystery tour is or what a mystery tour was. In England, you get on a bus... You had no idea where you were going, and they would take you somewhere that was a mystery.
1: That's just like our our Toronto Transit Commission. Yeah. (laughs) They don't mean it to be that way, though.
0: Yeah, it's probably a mystery tour as well, isn't it? But, you know, the whole thing was that they made fun, and and they all this is going to be great. It was Paul's idea, and we'll film all these wonderful things. When we get out there, there's no script. We just film what happens. Unfortunately for the Beatles, nothing happened, and the movie was a terrible flop. But going back to the odd thing about the picture is that if you look at Lennon standing next to that sign, and it says the best way to go is by M and D, C.
1: Because the, the, the O is the cut exact off. The
0: initials yeah. mark David Chapman. There you go. And the thing that always got me, which you mentioned earlier, I wrote about this. I think it was in Hellhounds on Their Trail, and it's again in uh, the uh, Take a Walk on the Dark Side. But the strange thing for me was the date. Not only was he killed by this MDC, but it was released on December 8, 1967, 13 years to the exact day right. that John Lennon would be murdered. So another coincidence. And I think maybe the scary thing is, what if there is some way to tune into whatever number is our destiny? And what if we were so well in tune with that as Lennon was? And, I mean, he knew the number nine had all this impact on his life. He would try to schedule things. And when the Beatles released uh, the video game, you know, when it came out, Rockstar or whatever, Rock Band. Right. They would put it out on September 9th.
1: September the 9th.
0: Yeah, 9-9. Nine, nine. I think it was 2009, too, maybe.
1: Because. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It was. It was, uh, it was um, September the 9th, 2009. Nine, 9
0: 9 Right. 2009. And I thought, wow, that has to be on purpose
1: right I want to talk about some of the strange things that happened that night uh, you know regarding Chapman and uh, um, well I'll just throw this out there and we'll pick it up on the other side Mia Farrow Mark David Chapman Mia Farrow the Dakota John Lennon as we discuss or commemorate the 34th anniversary of the death of John Lennon Our Gary Patterson rock and roll investigator and author of take a walk on the dark side rock and roll myths legends and curses right here on the conspiracy show don't go away You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. One, I can
0: hardly express.
1: Welcome back to the Conspiracy I'm Show, and uh, we're discussing the the synchronicities, uh, high strangeness, coincidences surrounding the life, career, and death of Beatle John Lennon, as we approach the uh, 34th anniversary. R. Gary Patterson is with us, rock and roll investigator, the Fox Mulder of rock. And uh, incidentally, Gary, if people go to your website, rgarypatterson.com, can they order the book uh, through the website and maybe get an autographed copy, perhaps?
0: Well, i tell you what. I'm always glad to do autographed copies. And uh, every year I'll send out a, a notice saying if they'll send me a copy of the book, send it priority mail with a self-stamped priority mail envelope inside for me to send it back. I'll be glad to do that.
1: Excellent. All right. I mean, this is uh, between uh, the, the Walrus was Paul, which, again, I mean, you just you uh, you really solved the whole riddle of the Paul is dead mystery, which just captivated the world back in, in 1969. Uh, but also take a dark on the, wa- uh, the dark, take a walk on the dark side, rock and roll myths, legends and curses. I mean, for any serious music fan, you, you just have to have these in your library. Uh, now, um, I wanted to talk about. Now I don't know if this is apocryphal or not. If anyone would know, it would would be you. When Mark da- David Chapman, there he is standing in front of the Dakota, waiting for John Lennon to come back from. Was it was the Hit Factory. Yes. And um, uh, he claimed that he saw Mia Farrow walk by, and this this was somehow a signal uh, to, uh, to to uh, to Mark David Chapman, you know, that he had to kill Lennon. So. What is the connection? Tie this together for people. Um, You know, Chapman seeing Mia Farrow in front of the Dakota and and Lennon. Tie that all together for us. Well, Mia Farrow
0: was good friends with John Lennon. And uh, what I think when I hear that message from him, you know, double fantasy was a deal with with, uh, Chapman because he thought that he had a double, that he was John Lennon. He would sign John Lennon's names to documents. He. Also, uh, let's see, besides just signing his name, he also thought he was Holden Caulfield. And that brings up the whole mystery of The Catcher of the Rye. Right. You know, J.D. Salinger. Uh, he went out to buy a copy. Uh, I think it was the day before he murdered Lennon. And he was waiting for him, and he was reading The Catcher of the Rye, and he was so intent in the reading that he missed Lennon getting out of the taxi going into the Dakota, but he saw Mia Farrah. And if you remember Catcher the Rye, Holden Caulfield was the savior of children. You know, that was the catcher in a rye. It was was an old take on the, you know, if a body see a body, coming by the rye. And Holden Caulfield had mistakenly placed his catcher in a rye. So now Chapman was Holden Caulfield. He had signed, he told his wife that he wanted to change his name to Holden Caulfield. So if he was going to rid the world of a bad influence, and of course he considered Lennon, to be the terrible influence that, you know, he had robbed him because of his love for the Beatles to find out that Lennon didn't believe in God, you know, like an Imagine, Imagine There's No Heaven. And he's saying to a group of children, Imagine There's No Lennon, when he was at a Christian camp in Georgia. So Mia Farah relates to the Dakota, if you remember the movie Rosemary's Baby. Right. And, you know, she was this perfect innocent victim who was brought into this strange satanic cult to bear the Antichrist. And her innocence was totally lost when the baby was born. And I have no idea if that was one of the things that this lost innocence that he saw with Mia Farah. But, you know, Mia Farah and her sister uh, had traveled to India and went to the Maharishi's camp with the Beatles and got into transcendental meditation. And uh, Dear Prudence was actually written for her sister, who the Maharishi was after, and she stayed in her tent, and the Beatles wrote the song for her to come out and play. Aha! And, uh, but the thing is about the Dakota, Yes. it's got a dark history. No murders were committed there, but there were ghosts there that people reportedly saw. Right, right. And when William Castle who was, you know, the master of the, the B-horror movies. He was turned down to be the director of the of the uh, Rosemary's Baby, but he could be the producer. So he Roman Polanski was chosen, and they became good friends. And Polanski asked Castle if he could help find a home in California for he and his pregnant wife to live there for a while. And uh, William Castle found the house on Celio Drive. There you go. And when Sharon Tate went to Los Angeles, her former boyfriend, Jay Sebring, she stayed at his house. And the night she stayed there, she had this dream, or she thought it was a dream. She saw this strange little man walk into her bedroom like he's looking for something. He didn't say a word. And then he leaves. Well, Jay Sebring had bought the home of Jean, Jean Harlow, and her husband had committed suicide in the house 30 days after they were married. So Sharon Tate gets up, she walks down the staircase, and she sees this dark figure laying up against against the staircase, and she could tell that his throat had been cut. It was ghostly. So she rushes down to get herself a drink, and she tears the wallpaper. Somehow she gets back to her room, and she is convinced that she just imagined the whole thing. Well, when she gets up the next morning, she sees the torn wallpaper. So it had to happen. Right. Now, the figure she saw was herself. Because when the police came in after the Manson murders, she was lying there with her throat cut. There was a Uh, rope around her neck to a beam of the roof, tied also to Jay Sebring. And, you know, it was just like she had described in this incredible premonition. So if Rosemary's baby that was filmed in New York, if it had some strange curse, if you look at the scene where the girl jumps out the window and commits suicide at the first, who had the strange necklace that Rosemary's going to be given. Right. Her body is found in the exact location that John Lennon will be shot.
1: Right. Rosemary's baby was shot at the Dakota.
0: Yes, it was. And the story goes they actually used one of the rooms that the Lennons had before they moved there. And when John Lennon found that out, according to Fred Seaman, he wrote on the wall, helter-skelter, and he pushed a file cabinet bag against it because Lennon was well aware of the... Rosemary's Baby thing, you know, and Roman Polanski never said it was some dark curse, but I will tell you, Ian Castle received a letter saying that he had released the Antichrist and that he would pay, and that what he would do is he would slowly uh, decay and die. And he didn't think anything of it, and it was on Halloween, he was supposed to go out with his daughters and his wife to trick-or-treat, and he got very ill, and it turned out that he had these terrible kidney stones. And he went to the hospital, and he had a number of surgeries. And while he was in the hospital, the man next door to him was the guy who wrote the score, the musical score for Rosemary's Baby. He died next to Castle. And, you know, so Castle had these things. It took him years to get over it. But, you know, he could see himself as a victim of this curse that, you know, the, the kidney stones, they couldn't find them. Sure. They would remove some, and the pain returned, and it was, you know, it was a terrible thing for him. So he thought he sort of believed in the curse and uh polanski never bought in the idea about the house and you know it's just such an odd thing because you know you talk about mark david chapman i mean was he a paranoid schizophrenic i mean when you go into a situation like that you have illusions of grandeur where you think you're god or you think the government's right. after you and the black helicopters are coming right or that you know something that's so valuable that, that you know that you have to watch for your life and you know, here he is, and he's hearing voices, and he sees little people in his room. And
1: uh, Yeah, he was becoming un- undone. Whether or not he was, uh, you know, the actual triggerman, whether he was a patsy, there's no question. He was mentally ill. And uh, uh, But, I mean, did he actually see Mia Farrow walk by, or did he imagine that? I guess we'll, well never know.
0: You know, he says he saw her, and yeah. he saw a couple of other actors, but, you know, he just watched them. Now, like I said, Mia Farrow and John Lennon were friends. They'd been friends ever since... They'd gone to the Transcendental Meditation session, so he may have seen her, you know. I mean, but the thing that always gets me, Mark David Chapman, he shoots John Lennon, and he sits calmly down and reads The Catcher in a Rye while the police come. Right. Just stands there. And he writes in the book, this is my, what, this is my testament, this is my testimony, and it was supposed to be the secret of Catcher in the Rye.
1: And of course, if you if people who have seen um, the Mel Gibson movie, uh, mm. which is called, is it called Conspiracy Theory?
0: Yeah, it the, is. The
1: the, uh, the the book Catcher in the Rye is used as a sort of a trigger mechanism in in mind control. And I I could be wrong about this, Gary, but I believe uh, uh, Hinkley, uh, who uh, attempted to assassinate Reagan, was also carrying a copy of Catcher in the Rye. He was. There was someone else who was hanging out at the uh, the, um, the Dakota that night with Chapman. Um, her name was Jude. Do you know that story?
0: Uh,
1: she was a big fan, and uh, mm-hmm.
0: well, she waited. She she invited Chapman to wait with him, I
1: believe. Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, Chapman offered to buy him dinner, but you know they they didn't. But you know she, there are a lot of people who feel guilty.
1: Uh, but you think of the song Hey Jude, right? And so here's this woman Jude that's <laughs> hanging around out of the Dakota, and yeah. and and Chapman confessed later part of him didn't want to do it. He was there was, was struggling with these internal demons, and he was. He said, yeah. had Jude asked him, had he had he had she asked him to go to dinner with, with her, then Lennon would be still alive. That's right. Amazing. You know,
0: and when you think of the word Jude, I mean, of course Paul McCartney was had written the song as Hey Jules. For julian right and they changed it to jude but you know that's kind of interesting the whole thing is yeah if she'd gone to dinner with him because you know he was really debating it if the story goes that he actually even prayed to the devil to give him strength to take john lennon's life mm. and you have that and uh you know that's kind of that's very spooky as well when you think about it and you, you just think about that whole concept of uh of killing this man at first that was a hero. And then, you know, he decided to take his life. And why? Because he wanted fame. Well, it wasn't fame. It was infamy.
1: Well, there's and, so many other know, things, Gary. I, I, we didn't have time to get... I wanted to talk about Todd Rundgren and... and oh, uh, gosh,
0: yeah. So much the more. The album that triggered it.
1: Yeah, To Face the Music, and uh, so much more we could have gotten to. I'll, I'll just leave people with this very quickly. So I talked about, you know, how many people learned about uh, Lennon dying, and that was because of Howard Cosell. But exactly six years earlier, I think to the day, it might have been December the 9th, John Lennon and Ronald Reagan met at Monday Night Football. They were two celebrity guests in the booth with the commentators, one of whom was Howard Cosell. And they were interviewed during the game. And, of course, then six years later, almost to the day, it was Howard Cosell who broke the news of Lennon's death to millions of viewers. Uh,
0: Terrible. And one other thought for you. When, John, when uh, Chapman moved into New York to kill Lennon, he stayed at the YMCA, right? Right. The address of the YMCA is 63rd Street. Ah, there you go.
1: Six and three and is nine. It never how ends. How
0: far is the YMCA to the Dakota? And the answer is nine blocks. Oh, dear.
1: Gary, always a pleasure. Can't wait to uh, to close a, a bar or restaurant with you. Get up to we've, Toronto. We've
0: quick. been known to do it.
1: <laughs> All right, my friend. Our Gary Patterson, thank you.
0: You're very welcome, Richard. I can't wait to talk to you.
1: Or garypatterson.com, Follow the truth.